Welcome to I've Tried Everything, a podcast series focusing on behavior support in schools. I'm your host, Angela Eisenberg. Our special guest for this series is Melinda Marquez. Hi, I am the coordinator for school improvement and accountability here at Region 13. Today, we're going to be talking about classroom interventions versus consequences. When you think about the difference between a consequence and an intervention, a consequence is a one and done. You provide a consequence, you're expecting that behavior to stop. An intervention is something that you would try over time. I went to a campus and working with a teacher, it was probably about four weeks into the school year, and she said, I've tried everything. Tried everything. And I said, okay, let's list all the things that you tried. And uh, she had a good list of stuff that she had been working with, you know, co- classroom contract, preferential seating. She, she did quite a few different things. And so then I asked her, you know, like, how long did you try that? And she was like, I tried it for one day and it didn't work. It didn't stop. And I think that's the challenge that a lot of educators have is that they expect immediate elimination of the behavior when they've tried an intervention. And the best way that I can equate this, Melinda, is thinking about going to the gym. Do you lose your desired weight the first time you go to the gym? Uh, No. (laughs) Don't you wish that you lose your desired weight the first time you went to the gym? Or you had the exact tone of your muscles that you wanted the first time you went to the gym? We expect that results for behavior, right? We expect immediate elimination, just like if it doesn't happen when we go to the gym, we should not expect for it to happen when we go into the classroom. We shouldn't expect it to do it once and it just be perfect. When we think about routines, have you ever seen any self-help material that says you should try this for how many days before it becomes a part of your routine? Anything that you ever read about self-help or like 14 days to make a habit, seven days? There's so many times that you have to put something into place before it becomes a habit or a routine. Yeah. And and the standard that we see is 21 days. Oh, I was off. Okay. 21 a, days. Yeah. But that's all right. 21 days, three weeks. You can kind of start getting into it after a week, but you're like, okay, but can I keep going? Mm-hmm. By the time you hit about three weeks, it becomes a part of your routine and procedure. So when you think about interventions in the classroom, you think about you have to sustain them over time. What are some interventions that you guys did on your campus and the classroom tier one interventions that classroom teachers utilized on your campus? You know, we've talked about this a little bit, but those building relationships, building community within the classroom. We did have behavior contracts. We used preferential seating. We used proximity. So some of those pieces we were able to implement campus-wide. Yeah, and I think some of the the newer ones out there that I see a lot of people putting into place is a calming area in the classroom, a place where students can go, take a break. Sometimes you could look at that as a classroom management technique, but if you're utilizing it for one specific student to go to the calming area when they start getting upset or uh, getting anxious over the material and they're utilizing it as a way of ongoing support, that's an intervention. That's when we're looking at, hey, we're seeing is utilizing the calming area, decreasing the behavior that that student is having whenever they feel anxious about the academic work or whatever that's leading to that behavior. You have to look at it as how do we separate the child from the behavior? Really look at how do we manage those behaviors and not manage the child, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If we could control student behavior, I wouldn't have a job. Honestly, there would be this special wand and you would say, bippity boppity behave and all would be great, right? 
you would never get a referral as a classroom principal <laughs> or, as, you know, as a campus principal, you would just be like, well, that's great. Mm-hmm. I, it's fabulous. I have my magic wand and all is great. Uh, but it doesn't happen that way. I mean, you really have to think around how are we addressing the behavior and how are we helping to to decrease that over time? One of the things that I usually give as an example is let's take a student that beeps. It's just a silly kind of example, but let's say during my ELA block of time or my secondary second period, you know, if I'm in, in a period kind of setting and I have them for 45 minutes. So if I just take a frequency count of how many times the student is beeping, beep, beep, And so this kid beeps, let's say 19 times in 45 minutes. It gives me some baseline data for how frequent the behavior is occurring. And it gives me a starting point of what I can do to address those behaviors and say, okay, well, let's think about the student, think about what intervention might work well with them. And then I say, well, maybe I'll do an individual reinforcement system with them. You know, maybe I'll do something where if they don't beep for so long, I go over and give them a, an initial. And when they get so many initials, they get some kind of preferred either activity or a preferred tangible item or special interaction with somebody on campus but there's some type of individual reinforcement happening. I would wanna keep that intervention for three weeks. The trend that we typically see is that the behavior might stop initially, and that initial stop might happen for a class period, it might happen for a couple of days, and then the behavior will come back. And sometimes the behavior will come back more than what you started. And so you're like, well, that didn't work, I give it up. Or it didn't initially even stop, so I give it up. That didn't work. I've tried it. It's three weeks of consistently doing it because what we see with that consistent implementation is that eventually, if that intervention is appropriate, the behavior will decrease. So let's say that now we're three weeks later. We collect some more data, and we say, child is beeping 11 times in 45 minutes. Is my intervention working, Melinda? Well, it decreased the behavior, but it didn't make it go all the way away, which I can see how some teachers would want it to be completely eliminated. Yeah, and I think that's the struggle is that we've reduced it. So the intervention is working. We are seeing gains in the intervention that we're doing. If you guys in the world of academics saw an increase in reading fluency by a small amount, but you saw an increase. Would you consider continuing that intervention for academics? Absolutely, we would, yes. So if we see that in the world of academics, we should think about that in the world of behavior as well. Yeah, that makes sense. So thinking around how do we keep that intervention going and then continue to do it. If we saw a small decrease, we would start thinking like, was there enough of a change to justify continuing? There's more behavior data that you could take because you could do intensity like you know is it just the beep beep or were they like beep you know Mm -hmm. like right so you can you could look at the intensity piece but sometimes just frequency of knowing how many times that they do it and thinking through different interventions of how you could address that behavior so it's about knowing what an intervention is intervention is over time you have to try it you have to click data and you have to assess whether or not we're seeing 
improvements. A consequence is a one and done. Mm -hmm. If you just had to list like five consequences that you typically saw and your teachers utilize, what were five different consequences? I'm Melinda Marquez and we'll get back to today's episode in just a second. If you like what you hear in this episode, hop on over to whatever platform you use and give us a rating and a review. It helps people find our podcast and helps us know what we can improve upon. Thanks. Now let's get back to the show. What were five different consequences? Of course, an office referral. And then for us, it was ISS. Our teachers would send the child to another teacher's classroom to sit. I do not like this one, but some teachers had children write as a consequence, which was, you know, we shifted that culture pretty quickly when we found out that was happening. But just things like that. I I think it would be important as a campus principal to really help almost create a menu of consequences of, hey, what do we support on this campus? Because if they're, as a punishment, making students write, and you're working on writing as your academic, you know, focus, you don't want that to be a consequence, because who then wants to pick up a pen and start writing as like, oh, I can't wait to write in writing class. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a that's a consequence on our campus. So really thinking around how could you come together as a staff or even in small groups and then create a menu of consequences that you could support. If you had to, Melinda, create that kind of menu and you were put back on a campus today, what is a strategy that you would utilize to create that? Would you do it whole campus or would you do it small group? I think using that campus behavioral team There's, if you have that team, or even your campus leadership team, your campus improvement planning team, you have lots of different teams on campuses that can be utilized. I don't think it's necessary to create a whole new team to do something like this. Just use the teams that are already in place to create something. So if you're using PBIS and you have that as a process on your campus, you could look to your PBIS team to help create this menu of consequences. If you have a campus improvement, everybody should have a campus improvement team, but utilizing that leadership team mm-hmm. and that way, taking that information back. And I know that one of the key pieces to any menu of consequences is to have the principal's eyes on it before it goes out to staff to make sure that you support everything that's listed on the paper. Right. And not just that the principal supports it, but is it in line with your vision, mission, values, and goals for the campus? Will it line up with that campus culture? Oh, I like how that you bring in that mission, vision, and that why mm-hmm. into the, the really looking at does it fit within that. The other piece really thinking through on those consequences is are they consequences that would help support behavior, right? Are they natural? Are they some logical consequences? Are we tying them together? Is it making sense? Sometimes people will give a consequence because they kind of like just are at their wits end and they want the consequence to hurt, not physically hurt. They kind of want the tear to like trickle down the eye, you know, when you give the consequence because you're frustrated with behavior. And so you want to inflict that frustration back on that person that is doing the behavior and it kind of go, oh, see, that's why you shouldn't do that. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is kind of one of those dilemmas that we kind of look at. When you think about interventions, a good pool of interventions that I think a lot of people don't realize is those 
conversations that you have with students, if you make it more of a conference and you sit down with them, you write out things like what's working for you? What are some challenges in the classroom? What are things that you can do as a student to help address that? What are things that I can do as the teacher to help support that? And how are we going to come back together and see if these things are working? That could be an intervention. I think sometimes people think interventions have to be this like big and takes a lot of time and a lot of investment, just really helping even doing goal setting. I did a goal setting for my son. (laughs) You're going to love this one, Melinda. I got a call from my son's teacher in April and she was just so frustrated with him. It was the first contact that I'd had from this particular teacher the entire school year. So I had done meet the teacher night and that was the last time that I had seen this or talked to this uh, teacher. So it's April, he's in sixth grade. She's frustrated. She calls in the middle of class. And so all of his classmates are around and she is, proceeds to tell me like, I he thinks every day's opposite day. And she's really frustrated. And I said, I can hear that you're frustrated. I'm not frustrated. And I said, okay, <laughs> you're not frustrated. I get that. And so her consequence was to call me in the middle of class, right? She wanted to have that immediate. And she asked, do you want to talk to him? And I said, no, I'm good. I'll talk to him this evening. I appreciate you giving me a call about this. I can see that it's frustrating that he's talking when he's not supposed to be. And so being the behavior manager that I am, he comes home that night, we talk about it. And I said, okay, Nick, what are we going to do to address this? Because obviously, your your talking is impacting class and impacting learning for other people. So we did a goal setting, I created a goal for him. And, and we had a long term goal, and we had short term goals and things that he was going to do to work toward those goals, what he needed from the teacher in order to to meet those goals. And then a plan for follow-up of how that we were going to make sure that he was doing that. And I think it was a tool for the classroom teacher whenever I we sent it and I emailed it and said, okay, we've come up with a goal setting. She was kind of taken back. Like she didn't expect there to be, she thought I was just going to give a good talking to. And I was like, no, we've got to have a plan because if this is, this behavior is so challenging, we need to have something to help support him. And it was the fifth, six weeks whenever I got the phone call and, and he had met his goal. His goal was to get a positive report from the teacher home every week. So she would email me or or call me that he would increase, you know, be on task during work times and and improve his grade long term. And so he he met all those expectations. He met all those goals. And so I was going to take him off of it. And he said, Mom, it really worked for me. Can we keep it in place the last six weeks? I was like, sure. So sometimes thinking like those like small interventions that you wouldn't even think twice about putting into place, they can actually have a huge impact on behavior in the classroom. So goal setting, planned intervention or planned discussions, doing some strategic in the classroom. You said preferential seating was one of the things that y'all did where you're giving students a an alternate place to be. Those are the kinds of interventions that you would want to try do it for three weeks, assess, see where you're at, and then go back and say, do we keep this intervention in place or do we need to go back to the drawing board and find something else? When you look at those interventions, Melinda, we've had lots of conversations about things that you did on your campus, things that worked, things that didn't work. If there was something that you would want to put into place if you went back as a campus principal, what is something that you might focus on as a campus principal as a going back into that realm? 
You know, I think one of the biggest things that I see now in my role whenever I go onto campuses and with districts and speak with the administrative team is the SEL piece, those SEL lessons. You know, we had those, but maybe we didn't name them as SEL lessons and they weren't quite as uniform and succinct as I've seen uh, now in some of these campuses. So that would be something that I would like to implement. So folks that are going SEL, what's that? Social emotional learning. Yeah, I think we get so caught up in our acronyms and education that we forget, like, mm-hmm. everybody doesn't know mm-hmm. what those mm-hmm. are. But yeah, social yeah. emotional learning is, you know, really on par with what our legislators were pushing out this last legislative session on looking at trauma informed practices, really looking at mental health. Social emotional learning tie very closely into those two preventative approaches to helping students to be successful and having lessons for how that you're going to teach expectations or how do you teach them the skills. I live by the motto that if they knew better, they do better. Mm-hmm. And how many times did you think that as a campus principal to teachers, if they knew better, they do better? Yeah, you know, it, that was a big piece for us too, that we had to teach teachers that they had to teach these skills because you know teachers come in and they focus solely on academics they know they have to teach the teaks but we as teachers and administrators have to know that we have to teach children how to about these skills as well you know teaching academics is just a piece of our jobs man you couldn't be more right melinda i just tell people that you weren't hired to teach a grade level you weren't hired to teach a, a specific content. You were hired to teach that grade level's academic content and behavior. You are hired to teach that content and behavior. Our job in education is to teach behavior. It's our job. I mean, we could get into a whole philosophical conversation around, isn't that the parent's job? Shouldn't they be teaching their children how to behave? Um, and in a euphoric world, that'd be lovely. But Melinda, have you ever interacted with an adult that didn't have social skills? Absolutely. We had parents who came in and then, and then you see why the children act the way they do. Yes. So thinking around that we have parents that are not modeling appropriate behavior. You have some parents that are working two, three jobs just to make sure that basic needs are being met. And they want to be more present in their children's lives. But, you know, they're just trying to make sure that there's food and shelter and and the things that the child needs in order to survive are there. Um, And so they those parents are relying on us to help them out. And then we have students in our educational community that don't have parents. When you think about those students, it's we're the most consistent adult in those children's lives. It's staggering to look at the school to prison pipeline data and um, the the data that looks at our inmates on death row. And in the state of Texas, we are we have sixty eight percent of our inmates on death row that at some point in time have been in the foster care system. So when you think about the impact that foster care and the lack of that consistent adult have on the long-term effect, um, it it is our job to teach behavior. We have to be that person to come in and provide that stability and that those opportunities for growth. And on the flip side of it is if you have a a staff member on the campus that doesn't maybe have some of the SEL skills, by teaching it, maybe they're learning it at the same time, right? Mm -hmm. How how many times would you have thought if they had some self-awareness, maybe there wouldn't have been some issues or this wouldn't have gone that far to the referral? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Uh, yeah, that sounds right. 
I still think that there are some times that I need to be more self-aware. So if you think about the five competencies of SEL, it's at self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship skills, and responsible decision-making. I think those five competencies for anybody in today's society, they need to make sure that they're going back to those and saying, am I, am I being a responsible decision-maker right now? And, and we tell students sometimes, make good choices, make good choices, but have we taught them the choices of how to make? which choice to choose right which ones are the good ones yeah yeah because they're making a choice yeah sometimes they're just not the positive one right <laughs> so we think about navigating that world of consequences versus interventions consequences are one and done like buddy teachers reflection sheets moving in the class loss of privileges things like that we have an array of consequences that we could utilize to best fit the actual infraction of which one might we choose or which one might work best for that student. When we switch to the world of intervention, we're looking at something that we sustain over time, that we are collecting data on, and that we're going back to, are we teaching the skills that we need to teach to students in order to help them be, to be successful. Castle.org is a great resource for SEL. So I highly recommend people go to Castle and look at there's information about social emotional learning, the competencies, as well as curriculums that could support social emotional learning on a campus. On next week's episode, we'll be talking about multi-tiered systems of support and how to navigate a multi-tiered process. If you like what you heard so far, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Angela Eisenberg. And I'm Melinda Marquez. And we'll see you next week.